0: Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Sermons Podcast. My name's Stuart, I'm the Minister at St Ninian's in Stonehouse, which is in Scotland. We are a local ecumenical partnership between the Church of Scotland and the United Reformed Church and that means we reflect both traditions in our work and worship. So let's listen to our reading for this week and then get on to the sermon.
1: So the Old Testament reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. The royal line of David is like a tree that has been cut down, but just as new branches sprout forth from a stump, so a new king will arise from among David's descendants. The spirits of the Lord will give him wisdom and the knowledge and skill to rule his people. He will know the Lord's will and honour him and find pleasure in obeying him. He will not judge by appearance or hearsay. He will judge the poor fairly and defend the rights of the helpless. At his command, the people will be punished and evil persons will die. He will rule his people with justice and integrity. Wolves and sheep will live together in peace and leopards will lie down with young goats. Calves and lion cubs will feed together and little children will take care of them. Cows and bears will eat together, and their calves and cubs will lie down in peace. Lions will eat straw as cattle do. Even a baby will not be harmed if it plays near a poisonous snake. On Zion, God's sacred hill, there will be nothing harmful or evil. The land will be as full of knowledge of the Lord as the seas are full of water." A day is coming when the new king from the royal line of David will be a symbol to the nations. They will gather in his royal city and give him honour. The New Testament reading is from Matthew chapter three, reading from verse one. At that time John the Baptist came to the desert of Judea and started preaching. Turn away from your sins, he said, because the kingdom of heaven is near. John was the man the prophet Isaiah was talking about when he said, Someone is shouting in the desert, prepare a road for the Lord, make a straight path for him to travel. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. People came to him from Jerusalem, from the whole province of Judea, and from all over the country near the Jordan River. They confessed their sins, and he baptized them in the Jordan. When John saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him to be baptized, he said to them, "'You snakes, who told you that you could escape from the punishment God is about to send? Do those things that will show you have turned from your sins, and don't think you can escape punishment by saying that Abraham is your ancestor. I tell you that God can take these rocks and make descendants for Abraham.'" The axe is ready to cut down the trees at the roots. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. I baptise you with water to show that you have repented, but the one who will come after me will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He is much greater than I am, and I am not good enough even to carry his sandals. He has his winnowing shovel with him to thresh out all the grain. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn the chaff in a fire that never goes out. Amen.
2: I love John the Baptist, like more than's normal, I think. He's out there in the wilderness with his camel hair tunic on and his leather belt, and he's eating wild honey and locusts and shouting at everybody, and especially at the religious leaders. It's proper Old Testament stuff. You can just imagine them out there thundering away on the banks of the Jordan, telling people that they need to change their ways and offering them baptism as a sign that things can be different. There hasn't been a prophet for 400 years. There used to be loads of them in those days. We read all of their stories in the Old Testament, but there hasn't been one since Malachi. Malachi. And they just stopped. For some reasons, the prophets just stopped. Perhaps because, well, perhaps because nobody was listening to them. Of course, the people could still hear the words of the prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah because they would be read in worship. They would open the scrolls and they would read these words. They would know the words that we read this morning. That striking poetry about a branch that will grow from the root of Jesse. Who was Jesse? We read this every Christmas. It struck me we don't often talk about who was Jesse. Who was Jesse? King David's dad. King David's father. Jesse was David's father. We forget that though, don't we? We don't talk about him much. Because all he did was try and get all of his other brothers to be king first, didn't he? That was Jesse's story. He sent all of, his bro- all of David's older brothers, and eventually David was last. He was just a wee boy, and he was out in the field. And Jesse didn't even think of him. But he was the one that became king. So out of this stump, a royal line of kings that had been cut off just a stump a root cut all the way to the bottom the people had been left with tin pot dictators like Herod who were just puppets of the Roman occupiers so when John appears sounding and looking like Elijah and telling them that the thing that Isaiah once spoke about You can bet the people were going to pay attention. Even John's location is important. He's on the banks of the River Jordan, the very place where the Hebrew slaves ended their 40 years in the wilderness. They crossed over the river at that point into the promised land, and it was a new beginning a beginning of the nation of Israel. They weren't just people wandering around in the desert anymore, it was a fresh start but they were only allowed their fresh start when they left all their old habits behind. That's why they wandered around for so many years. They had to learn how to be the people of God, how to be the people that God wanted them to be. And now here's John, standing on the banks of the river, thundering away about preparing the way because the Messiah is coming. Well, what does that mean? And how do you prepare the way? If the queen's going to visit, you need to get a hat. But if she was coming here, what would we do? We'd paint everything. Apparently the, the queen thinks the world smells of paint. Because people tidy up, don't they? They spruce everything up, they give everything a lick of paint, they fix all the things that are broken, all that kind of stuff. We would paper over the cracks. We would make things look nice. The council would probably fill in at least some of the potholes in the roads. And if we were really, really lucky, the grass might get cut. So preparing the way is in some sense a practical exercise, isn't it? But John isn't talking about an actual road. He's talking about people preparing. Challenge them to do a spiritual inventory to clean out their old habits we're in week two of advent and week two of the new church year this year we're going to spend a lot of time with Matthew's gospel and for Matthew the idea of judgment is really important this John the Baptist features in all four gospels four books that are about the story of Jesus but perhaps the most vivid account comes in Matthew he's challenging he's really grumpy just look at how he treats the religious leaders when they come to see what he's saying and ask him for baptism you brood of vipers who warned you to come here to flee from the wrath that's to come bear fruit worthy of repentance don't presume to say to yourselves well we have Abraham as our ancestor because I tell you that God could make these stones into children of Abraham even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree and every tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire you could imagine the delight at hearing that can't you It's a stinging rebuke, a damning criticism of the lax and lazy religion. And they've rested on the idea that, well, we're God's chosen people, so, well, we don't really need to do much about that, do we? We've been chosen already. We don't really need to bother. We don't really need to try hard. We don't really need to do much because we're already special. But to think that is to completely ignore everything that they'd learned in the time in the wilderness the time where God gave them commandments because they couldn't live together well. And it ignores all the warnings of the prophets like Isaiah who tell them again and again and again that they're not doing it right, that they need to be different, that they could be better, and that there will be consequences if they don't get their act together. For Matthew, judgment isn't about heaven and hell. It's really easy to think that because he talks in really stark terms about being burned up in the fire and all that kind of stuff. And we shouldn't pretend for a minute that judgment's some easy thing or try to minimize it because it's not. Judgment's often hard and harsh. That's because judgment's about recognizing the parts of ourselves that aren't right and stripping them out. Matthew gives us images of pruning and burning and threshing and refining. And they're all about getting rid of the useless bits, the impurities, the things that take all our energy but aren't fruitful. Look at how John accuses the religious leaders of producing the wrong kind of fruit. It's not that they're not producing fruit, it's the wrong kind of fruit. It's John's message about preparation to take stock that we need to take stock and to take stock we need to be brutally honest with ourselves about everything and then we need to change John slams them because he knows that they'll come to the river and they'll make some grand show and they'll say that they're sorry and they'll be baptized and then they'll go home again and do exactly the same thing. Nothing will be different. John's baptism is in some ways an easy baptism. In some ways it's a superficial baptism. The water will wash off all the dirt and all the grime on the outside, but pretty soon you'll be dirty again and you'll have to come back again. And that's no bad thing recognizing that we slip back into our old habit shows at least that we're aware that we need to keep working on things keep growing keep learning keep changing but baptism is just part of what John is offering John's call is to get ready his message is about preparing for change because the baptism that Jesus is offering will be very different a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire That's a whole different level. What's about to come is complete transformation. And there's no going back. Our problem with that is that we just can't imagine it. We can't imagine such wide and sweeping change in our society. Isaiah writes things like, The lion will lie down with the lamb. And we say, Aye, maybe... But the lamb's not going to get much sleep, is it? Isaiah's prophecy sounds too good to be true. Too good to ever be true. How could wolves and bears and lions graze grass like cattle? How could a leopard lie next to a kid goat? The transformation required for that to happen is just too big. A complete change of nature literally would be needed before these alpha predators become domesticated herbivores we know that a leopard doesn't change its spots it's not that we don't like the idea of it it's just that it's so far from our experience that we can't imagine how it would ever work how it would even begin to happen We'll discover as we work our way through Matthew's gospel that there are actually some pretty good instructions for changing the world in there. But for now, because it's Advent, let's just stick to the getting ready stuff. Judgment begins with truth-telling. If you're a witness in court, you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Truth Truth-telling is about laying bare about uncovering, about exposing all of our darkness to the bright light, and it's a scary, scary thing. I don't want other people to know that I'm not perfect. I certainly don't want them to know about all the stuff that I've thought and said and done that I've hurt other people. In fact, I don't even want to think about that stuff. And putting that right That's hard. But if I don't tell the truth about who I am and what I've done, then I can never change. I received the best letter I've ever had this week. It was from one of my oldest friends. And it was a letter about exactly this. Telling me all about his journey to accepting the truth about what he's done and who he's become and allowing himself to recognize that he has to change. And as I read that letter, I wept. I wept because for him to make his realization required an actual trial and an actual sentence and four and a half years in prison. And the process that he describes and all of that, he says, is one of the best things that's ever happened to him. He talks about how he shares his wing with a bunch of guys who are just like him. People who were lost and didn't know how to get unlost. And the thing is, Part of my fear is that I am just as sceptical and cynical about what he says as you probably are. Sure. But has he really changed? I hope so. But we dismiss people so easily, don't we? Prison should be a place that people are punished. Punished for all those things that they've done wrong. Not a place of rehabilitation. But thankfully... It is a place of rehabilitation. And that's a good thing because I think that's what God is like. I wish I had the bravery to do what my friend did in his letter, to lay bare all that he's done and how judgment has allowed him to see that clearly and to change. Most of us won't ever go to prison. But the process John the Baptist invites us into is in some ways just the same. Because we lock ourselves up all the time. We confine ourselves with guilt and shame and greed and ambition and all the things that we surround ourselves with that pen is in. Advent's a waiting time. A preparing time. A time to take stock and to make change so that we're ready ready for what has to come it's time to get rid of all that stuff that we carry around all that guilt and shame that we cling to all the regrets and the hurts that we've caused and all the things that we've had done to us it's also time to make amends time to say sorry time to ask for forgiveness time to repair what's broken and attend to what has been neglected Because in this story is hope. Isaiah tells of a stump left behind, cut down, and useless. Once it had been a beautiful tree, but the tree had been cut down, and all that's left is a stump in the ground, neglected and forgotten. But slowly... Ever so slowly, a new shoot is born. While politicians talked and governments fought, a promise was spoken. While the planet grew tired and people were frightened, a child was named. While refugees wandered and trafficking became a business, a word was uttered. When right was not enough and might became an ethical option, a gift was announced. While poverty was rife and the economy was greedy, a light was revealed. While war became permanent and hunger was just a way of life, a son was given. And he shall be called companion of strangers. Breaker of bread. Crucified God. Servant of peace. So prepare the way. For the new king
0: is coming. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon then please do get in touch. We create this podcast at anchor.fm where you can leave us a voice message. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We post the audio of the whole service each week on our website. There are details of all of this in the show notes. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.